Welcome to Big Blend Radio with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Big Blend Radio's Books and Authors show that airs every second Wednesday with our friends over at Books Forward. And I encourage you to go to their site, booksforward.com. But today we get to welcome back award-winning author Lynn Slaughter. And many of you know her from her young adult books, but we're so excited because we're actually recording this on a Monday. Tomorrow is her release day for her first adult novel. It's a murder mystery. It's called Missed Q. She's back in the ballroom. She's back in the dancing world. And um, it is out as you hear this on the Wednesday, which is National Book Lovers Day, which we love. And I encourage you to go to her website. It's lynnslaughter.com. And I remember the first time she was on the show, I got the giggles about that since she does so much about murder and mystery <laughs> that her last name is Slaughter. So welcome back, Lynn. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so glad to be back again. Thank you so much for having me. And this is excellent. I remember you were on, I think it was last year, right? We did our writers. Uh, we had like a two-part show. I don't, you seem to hit the festival mode. What's going on with that? She wants to be in the special land. I like it. <laughs> yeah. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Last time you were on the show, it was a writer's panel discussion and it was so much fun. And yeah. you were actually telling us about Missed Q and writing it yes. and going, you know, from, you know, writing young adult to now, hey, I'm going to do murder for adults. Mm -hmm. What led to that? Uh, it was actually an accident. To, to be very honest with you, a friend of mine challenged me to write a short story for an anthology for Malice Domestic called Murder Most Theatrical. And she said, you should write a story for this since you have a background in the performing arts. So I did. I wrote a short story and had the same title, Miss Q. Uh, and the same basic premise. But after I finished writing the story, uh, I thought, you know, this I don't feel like I'm really done with this character because in a short story, you can't delve extremely deeply into character development or, you know, the character's personal life or challenges or maybe how she grows and changes in the course of the, in course of the story. So I decided to expand it into a novel. And that's how Miss Q uh, as a novel came into being. By the time I finished it, uh, believe it or not, the identity of the killer had even changed. So it, oh, it, wow. evolved. it evolved quite a bit, but it was, it was really an accident. I consider myself mainly a young adult novelist. So. Well, you, you grab our attention immediately. I mean, it's like, boom, you're in the book. You're like, all right, what's going on? Shenanigans. Um, <laughs> you get your characters pretty fast. Um, yeah. That yeah. what I think is no matter what kind of genre or age group you're reading, because we we'll read everything, honestly, on, on all ages, because why not? Actually, young adult novels, I think people should read. Adults should read them. Yes. Um, so they understand uh, young adults more, but also the things they're facing. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a good thing. And parents should read what the kids are reading as well. But um, with this, you know, reading, you know, it was such a pleasure. I'm like, yeah, I get to read her work now. And I'm getting, it's like, boom, I'm in. And um, the characters are already on you. You managed to move very, very quickly with that. 
Um, I know that you studied this and you were also a professional dancer in, in the performing arts. But then when you decided, hey, I'm going to write, you didn't just go, oh, I'm going to just start writing. You actually went to study writing. So yeah. did character development, was that part of what you studied because you're so good at it? Oh, well, thank you so much. That's so nice of you to say that. Well, it's true. <laughs> well, yes, um, I actually had been working on and off on a novel after I retired from dance that became uh, my first novel while I danced. And then that novel, which was about a young ballet dancer with all kinds of family troubles and peer troubles, um, that got me hooked on fiction. So at that point, I went back to school and earned my MFA from Seton Hill University in writing popular fiction. And I had some terrific mentors there who were very good professional writers. And yes, character development was huge. And, uh, and also, I think that people tend to focus on the things that really, really interest them the most. Mm -hmm. And people have always fascinated me. I was a sociology major in college. I just, okay. I thought, ooh, you know, what? how great to spend you know, all this time studying people. And so I, I guess it's not surprising that I'm really, really interested in character development. Yeah, because the characters, I think that's so important in, in anything you read, because whatever they're going through, you want to somehow be attached to it or have some kind of common bond or understanding. You know, and when it comes to a murder mystery, it's like, oh, you know, and so I want to talk about the two women in your book, Miss Q. Tell everybody a little bit about Lydia and then Caitlin, because Caitlin, she's a she's a little badass, isn't she? <laughs> am I allowed to say that? I am. Uh oh. Uh oh. Well, Lydia. I'm going to have to put the explicit word on here now, uh, you know. Lydia is the murder victim uh, who actually dies on stage in the final dress rehearsal of Act Three of Romeo and Juliet. And Lydia is a revered ballerina. She's known to be very kind to everyone she works with. She's not, she doesn't present as a diva or anything like that. She marries the artistic director of the ballet company who's quite a bit older than she is. And essentially he divorces his wife to marry her. This is about 16 years before the beginning of the novel. But during the marriage, he's really quite lonely in many ways because he is completely obsessed with his company and creating ballets. And essentially his interest in her is as a dancer. She is his Right. Music. And that's what I was going to say. Even the beginning of it, you can hear that you can already see like, it's, it's like, a, she's almost like a muse for him. And he's, it's, she's almost like a trophy wife in a way. She is, she is. And uh, so she eventually be, uh, enters into an affair, an extramarital affair with, the lighting, the longtime lighting designer of the company. And that is a real love match. And one of the discoveries after she dies during the autopsy is that she was actually six weeks pregnant and it is not her husband's baby. It is oh. the baby that 
she was to have had with, with uh, this lighting designer. So, so uh, she's kind of a, tor you know, a little bit of a tortured soul. Uh, right before she dies, she's decided to stay married to the artistic director because she doesn't want to put her child through what she went through as a child. She was a child of divorce. And uh, she's just, a, I think, in a way, kind of a sad character. She's reaching toward the end of her professional dance career and facing retirement and continuing a marriage with a man she doesn't really love and who doesn't really love her. So she's making some kind of difficult choices for herself. Mm. And Caitlin is a hot mess. Uh, Caitlin is but, the hot but, mess. <laughs> but, but, she, but, she, but she's still like, you know. I love that you have her in there because I think oh. women can get left off, you know, in the police world. I mean, we do see women in law and order and things like that, but, but that's why I said she's a little badass because she's, she's maybe a little bit of a hot mess on one side, but she's, you know, but that's how those characters, there's this bond, even though one's alive and one's past, I feel like there's a bond between there is. them. There is. And yeah. there's commonalities even in their stories. And so Caitlin is a very good detective. This is a really complicated case that she's facing because the autopsy doesn't show any apparent cause of death. She not only has to figure out who killed uh, Lydia, but how she was killed, how they did it, which uh, turns out to be really complicated. And in the meantime, in her personal life, she has this habit of getting involved with married men. And in, currently she's involved with a medical examiner who's you know, married, has children, and um, she, she feels guilty and she thinks I really should let this go, but she can't seem to make herself do it. And she finally goes into therapy to figure out why she keeps kind of doing this to herself. So, mm. She's a comedy. Yeah, because it's a cycle. There's cycles. And yeah. in murders and in criminals, crime tends to work in cycles just like human yes. issues and and mm -hmm. things that go down through families and generations and abusive stories are always in a cycle. And it's almost they almost work like clockwork. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a thing for when you're doing a, a murder mystery. How do you not just go, okay, like I'm gonna have to hide stuff from the reader? but give you this balance of enough for making you guess, but it, you know, that's why you, we all tend to read overnight. <laughs> right. Yeah. We want to know what comes next. We want now, we want it now, but you, you are thinking without, you know, it's, we, you start to think, whereas you don't want to be told to think you're like, Oh, I can't do any more work. I've done too much today. I don't want to have to think about finances or whatever it is. Right. But then in a murder mystery, you're like, I'm in. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, it's a balancing act not to give away too much too soon. So, mm -hmm. because you do, you want, obviously you want to entertain your readers and you want to keep them turning the pages. So you want them to always be asking what next, what next, mm -hmm. what's going to happen next. And then, of course, the fact that you have this all go down, 
uh, during Romeo and Juliet. I thought that was, yeah, that was smart. Yeah. That just was fitting, you know, right. it, it, right. it is, you right. know, so going into the dance world of it too, I think, yeah, I think even when we first talked last year, I was like, it is so left off, mm-hmm. you know, that the, there's only, I can count dancers on one hand that have written books about murder or any kind of shenanigans going on in the dance world. So do you feel like you're, you know, holding that flame of, come on, this is a profession that people should know because mm-hmm. in anything creative shenanigans happens. Like the, the creative world, we're an interest, interesting crew of people. <laughs> yes. There's a, a wonderful uh, writer, Lori Robbins, who's written a whole series of books the murder in first position, murder in second position, oh, wow. et, cetera, et cetera, that um, is about a ballet dancer and who is also an amateur sleuth. Mm-hmm. So there are a few of us, but not a lot, not a lot of uh, dancers writing novels, especially mystery novels. But Well, I also think it gets people into the world of dance. Um, that really, actually, you know, the other one, I, other author I know is Lynn Nichols, uh, Nicholas, excuse me. Um, and and she's she's a dancer too. Like, but yes. I think it's dance is such a hard, you know, being on stage is a very hard career. Um, you have, you know, the show must go on kind of career. Um, mm-hmm. Even just how your diet has to be and physicality. That I think that's also something that when you read books, you start to you know, books with dance in it, you mm-hmm. start to understand the value behind what you watch in a show, you're, you know, mesmerized and wow, you know, but when you walk out, I mean, each one of those people that put a production together have, yes. it's blood, sweat and tears, right? Literally. Yes, literally. That's right. And of course, the idea in ballet is it should look very, very easy and effortless and, you know, the defiance of gravity and the epitome of grace and beauty. But behind all that is a lot of sweat and Mm -hmm. a lot of hard work and, and effort and sore feet and the whole, the whole nine yards. So it is, it's a challenging life. Mm. Did you enjoy writing for adults versus young adults? I know you're working on more, right? I know there's more in the works, but what was it like for you to kind of switch gears there? You know, uh, it's interesting because I just didn't feel that it was as huge a jump as Mm. I thought it was going to be. You know, because lots of people have asked me that, well, what were the differences? And I and I feel kind of embarrassed that I don't have anything very profound to say about that because (laughs) Whenever I'm writing, I just try really hard to immerse myself in the lives of my characters Mm. and in their world and in their challenges and what's going on for them. So obviously for teenagers, the developmental challenges are very different. Mm. Um, You know, you're at this really, really dramatic point in your life where you're on the cusp of adulthood, you're trying to figure out who you are, who you want to be, who you want to become, who you you want your tribe to be, whom you want to love, Mm -hmm. fit into the world. It's a, there are a lot of really big developmental challenges for teenagers. But the thing is that as adults, we continue 
to have all of these challenges and we continue to need to grow and mature. I know because as you were saying all that about a teenager, I'm like, well, I'm kind of there. I'm still like, who? who, I I mean, who I thought I was yesterday has changed up already, you know. (laughs) And that's the thing is that that's, you know, you hit the nail on the head. That's a great comment because we have these challenges throughout our lives. We're always trying to, to grow and get healthier uh, personally and emotionally and so forth and be more of who we think maybe we were meant to be. And that's true for Caitlin, my side detective. She's in her late 30s, but she's got some really substantial personal challenges. And she's been trying to help her partner who is struggling with alcoholism after after his wife has left him. That's another huge uh, challenge that affects many people of all ages. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess... I didn't feel it was as big a switch as I anticipated it would be. Mm. And to some extent, I think we take who we are and what our preoccupations are into whatever we're doing. So Mm -hmm. that since I'm so hung up on character, I just sort of took that obsession into, into somebody who was older. Do you do a lot of people watching? Yes, a lot mm-hmm. of people watching. In fact, uh, <laughs> <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorite places is, is airports. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Fasting, sitting in airports or walking in airports and just watching people and, and uh, making up stories about them. And See, uh, that, that's it. That's what we do. I mean, you know, we travel the country, but we, right. you know, we're always stopping in parks and rest areas just to stop. And there's been so many times, like we keep threatening to get one of those video webcam dash cam things because people are going, I don't believe the stories. You can't make this stuff up. You know, I mean, we watched somebody lock their child in the car and try to get in and they got out, but they kept setting the alarm off. I mean, it was, and then try to open the trunk because the trunk was open get one of their kids to climb i mean it was crazy and they're trying to tell the one kid how to unlock but the keys are in the anyway this was like so stupid and i'm looking at them going you know meantime the wife was sitting and it all started she was sitting on they have those little rest area gazebo things Uh and she's got a skirt on and she's sitting there opening her legs up, wide open and close. Oh, I mean, and I'm going, I don't want to see that. <laughs> you know, yes. you can understand these people. And I'm going, I know it's hot out, right. but that's not, that's not very ladylike. You know, right. we've seen people, we have seen drug deals. We have seen, um, I, I, I can't, I can't even say everything on air of what we have seen, right. but it does belong somewhere it's almost like walmart photos yes. people in walmart now i feel like people in rest areas um yes, yes. and nancy's yelling in the background of what to say because she wants you to know that we watched a woman give her husband a pedicure <laughs> in a rest area and not nicely not nicely no she's yelling in the background and tell it no nancy i can't tell all of this on this but but you start to wonder you start to wonder like why and how and we start making names up you know, yes. 
Yes. And you start going, this is where they're from. Then we see a license plate. And then what is their interaction with each other when things like the kid gets stuck in the car? Are right. they mean to each other or are they, as a family, going to problem solve? Right. This guy kept smacking his window. Like, what was that going to do? Yeah. Set off the car alarm. What did that do? Drama. Yeah. So. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, you have seen a lot. I want to go hang out with you in airports because people get crabby in airports. Yes, Lisa, you could probably write a great book about all of your experiences. We, we, start, we started to try and do rest area radio and we, we did oh. record some things. Okay. Um, but Nancy wants to go a level up and start interviewing people in the rest area. Yes. And I'm like, oh, no, that's where it's going to start getting weird, you yeah. know. So we did record one um, podcast where we did a road trip up the Jefferson Highway. Right. And um, recorded what was going on. And, sh- and and eventually we went through all kinds of things. We got lost. We went down dirt roads we shouldn't. We tried to rescue a dog in a rest area. I mean, all kinds of weird things happen. And we're like, okay, we might do this. But there is something to watching people and kind of makes you think like, do I do that? Oh, maybe I do. I don't do pedicures in the rest area though. Right. Right. You know, but airports to me are fascinating because number one, it's not a rest area, right? This is a little bit elevated. You've got food, you've got, well, actually some rest areas do have that. Um, but things can happen in a rest, uh, an airport of, you know, because there's bars. So now there's alcohol involved. You're not having to drive like you do in a rest area. You may not have all the kids. So illicit things could ensue. There are a lot of emotional farewells and reunions. Uh, oh, that's yeah. In airports. So I think both are uh, really places that offer great material. That or Las Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. <laughs> and Venice Beach in California. Venice Beach is cool. But you, you're in Kentucky. I want to say that Kentucky has some of the most beautiful rest areas in the country. Yes, it does. It does. You have the real gazebos. Actually, now that I was saying that, that, that like when you go to your, I mean, Kentucky is beautiful. Have you always lived there? No, I'm actually originally from New York and Connecticut. But oh, beautiful. Here. Many years ago, uh, to uh, become chair of a dance department at a performing arts high school. And that's how I originally came here. So, and then we just stayed. And, uh, but it is a beautiful state. So, what is this about you loving chocolate so much? I thought as a dancer, you're not allowed. You know, this is an interesting thing is that I. I do think a lot of, there certainly are, are dancers who are extremely reluctant to eat almost anything because they don't want to uh, gain weight and be penalized career-wise. But honestly, uh, working as hard as I did uh, and for that many hours a day, and having, I guess, a high rate of metabolism, I could pretty much eat anything I wanted. And I think... Oh, wow. There's so many of us that really just love you. And when you just said that, you know? (laughs) I mean, I just think that, you know, you were burning, I was burning off hundreds and hundreds of calories a day. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, is that if you really 
do you restrict your diet too much, then you simply don't have the energy to do what is essentially the work of an athlete. Mm -hmm. It's really athletic as well as artistic work. Mm. So, uh, and the people, the dancers I knew who tragically developed eating disorders, um, essentially, eventually they couldn't dance anymore and had to. Yeah. No, eat. it's sad. Yeah, I mean, it's, you can die, as you know, uh, but yeah. you, it's very, um, it's a very insidious disease. But I was just very fortunate and I knew a lot of dancers like me who could who could be pretty healthy eaters just but that was just because we were working yeah so them yeah you worked so hard I, we have uh friends who had a, dan a dance studio but it was middle eastern dancing mm -hmm. and oh, yes. um and nancy used to do belly dancing and we both know a little bit of it nancy knows more and he he was a drummer and she was a dancer dan dance instructor and would go see them all the time and and she would write articles and also was trying to explain the culture and that belly dancing is not a strip joint you know she's <laughs> trying to explain a lot of that and she was really cool but it it wasn't a whole other interesting there 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 was a murder i shouldn't even say this on air because maybe they're listening and you never know but there was oh <laughs> there was drama um, oh my gosh. Yeah. This is interesting now that I think of it. Um, mm -hmm. And it was a jealous lover. Oh, yeah. always juicy, right? You shouldn't say juicy and murder in the same sentence, but it was um, yeah. and sad, obviously. Right. Um, right. But um, anyway, I remember I had put on a little weight mm -hmm. and I'd gone in and he looked at me and he said, you put weight on, you need to start doing something. And I'm like, I'm not a don't, Mm -hmm. And I wondered about this. I was like, dude, I bet you dancers go through this kind of thing all the time where, mm -hmm. and, and he had no right to say that and was rude. And, yeah. and, That's right. but That's then right. I thought, yeah, that has got to be, cause I think women go through this in workplace and now it's being oh. squished, but yes. for dancers, does that happen for both yes. men and women about their weight? Yes. Apparently uh, um, in some uh, dance companies, there are actual clauses that are referred to as fat clauses or something where if your weight exceeds a certain amount, uh, you can be either fined or let go or whatever. So yes, I think there's still tremendous prejudice. It's much, um, there's much more, I was a modern dancer. Uh, and in the companies I danced with, there was much more uh, acceptance of different kinds of body types, um, mm -hmm. much more so than in ballet. In ballet, it's definitely. Uh, See, I think I, I've seen, you know, different bodies of dance, too. Let's put it that way. And yes. I, I don't think I don't so long as you're healthy and able to continue the physicality part of it. I right. think it, I think, you know, bodies can be beautiful no matter the size. I agree. Personally, I agree. you know, and it's about yeah. how you carry it right. and, and dance tells stories. And so that's where I think you too, that's really interesting about you yeah. being going from dance into writing. You're still telling a story. You're still a storyteller. And if everybody's the same size and a story, 
what's the point? You're kind of missing that character development. So was that a change for you as a writer going, hey, we can all be different things? Yeah. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Wow. wow. In general, ballet, ballet dancers do tend to be uh, sleek. Shall we say sleek? That's um, a nice word. I like that. One of the things. That, like a uh, sleek blade. Uh-oh. One of the things that, that <laughs> Caitlin feels when she goes to interview all these dancers, she feels, oh, my God, I feel so big because she's um, a tall woman. She's not, you know, heavy or anything, but she's athletic and almost kind of like a, I don't know, a goddess type person. And uh, I compare her, I think, at one point to the Mariska Hargitay. Yeah, I get, yeah. Lord order us for you, gorgeous lady, uh, but not a petite little thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think our culture is uh, so hung up on, at least the popular culture and the social media is so hung up on all that stuff. Very mm-hmm. unhealthy for, for young women. As a writer for young adults, are those kind of themes, is that something that you're conscious of when you're writing about what they go through? I mean, these young girls, when you're even thinking of maybe wanting to become a dancer and realizing it's the same thing as being a model or being an athlete, you know that your career is going to be a little short at some point, you know, at some point, there's going to be, you know, the swan song, basically, and having to be prepared for that and be prepared for being in an audience in front of an audience and even if you're an attention seeker as a human being that it's going to hurt at some point yes i think it has obviously for athletes and dancers there's a limited shelf life uh you're not going to be able probably to dance forever and that that is a definitely hangs over you all the time i know i was very aware of that Uh, when I was dancing, that I wasn't going to be able to do this forever. And I consider it kind of risk-taking behavior, just like writing or doing anything where you are putting yourself out there. Um, It's allowing yourself to be vulnerable, to go out there in front of thousands of sometimes hundreds of thousands of people and wearing very little. Yeah, really, exactly. It's like if you're having a bad day, it's yeah. like too bad. You're having a bad day. I mean, it's, you know, it's like even, you know, it's like women, you know, and young girls going through that, you know, monthly time, you will puff up a little bit. And that's right. then all of a sudden you have to be out there in a tutu. Like, that's got to be like, yes, I think I always so. thought about that when, when I was younger going, oh, my God, what if you had that accident as a young girl that way? That's not cool. Right. Right. But, you know, it happens. Exactly. To, it, I don't think any woman has had no accident in their life that, or any kind of like, oh, my God, that happened to me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, bad hair day. I'm having one. You know, I went from lightning this morning to complete humidity. So whatever it wants to do, it's allowed to do. Get over exactly. it. You know? so, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Uh, but there's an inner strength that comes with all of this. And you're telling stories of people that are moving through things that are personal, um, as we all do, which we were talking about with those characters. You want someone who's going through, you, you want to have that identification, whether it's something you've gone through or a friend or family, loved one um, that you can identify with. 
but they're always seeming to go through something. And that I think is a crucial thing because there's, that's where the strength. And I think we always say, we want to root for the underdog. Yes. There's a strength in it. Yes. And I, I do think there is also uh, healing that goes on through the arts and through involvement in the arts. So that uh, I think for characters I've written about that when they really immerse themselves in whatever their art form is, they feel better. Mm. And it's, you know, it's. Oh, it's, yeah. It's, Whenever I'm going through anything negative. I have two things. Music is always music and nature, yes. are like my, my, yes. you know, right. things, um, you know, but it's really getting, doing something. Yes. You, taking action is like the, uh, Joan Baez, that's what she says. You know, action mm -hmm. is the antidote to despair. Yes. And I, I believe that, you yes. know. Yes. That's a great point. Mm -hmm. great point. I love that quote, by the way. Oh, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> I'm I love Joan Baez. <laughs> Baez too. I like her. Oh, I like her too. <laughs> Talk about a badass. She was a yeah, badass. And still she is, was. right? She <laughs> you <was>. know. <laughs> so, okay. So I want to go back on your books too for others. Um, you know, I know that you're airing on on our book festival day for book lovers, yeah. and um, we've got a, a young adult author and also a middle grade author, and mm -hmm. so I wanted to just kind of touch on your other books. So you've got Miss Q out now, everybody. I can, you can go to lynnslaughter.com. The link is in the show notes. Um, but you also Deadly Setup. Was Deadly, what, was that your first one? Or like, tell, who, who came first? Uh, no, don't say the chicken. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, While I Danced came first. And okay. a call that should have been you. Mm -hmm. After that was Alicia's song. And then Deadly Setup, and this Miss Q is my fifth novel. Wow. So, so. Are you loving it? And all these awards, I was going through them. I can't pronounce half of them, by the way. So I'm oh. not going, but everyone, it's there in the show notes, okay? Um, yeah. But I mean, getting all these awards, you've got to feel quite accomplished that, you know, five novels, number one, that's not something to poo-poo. That's a lot of work. I mean, is it, uh, that's a lot of, I mean, do you have more than one story going in, on in your head? A lot. Do you have like? I better write this down here. Like, you know, I I usually get really um, kind of anal. I I get laser focused on a particular project, and that's all I'm thinking about. I know there are some writers. Every writer is different, and some writers have like, oh, I've got these three projects going, and if one isn't going well, then I turn to you know whatever. Yeah. I am just. One of those folks who, if I'm working on a novel, then that's that's what I'm working on at that moment, you know. Mm. And once that's done, then it's time to move on to the next project. Now, are you going to do a playlist, a music playlist for your novel, Miss Q? No, I, I haven't done that. I probably could, especially for um, Deadly Setup, because in Deadly Setup, the... Um, protagonist is uh, a pianist and she's a fan of the American songbook. So she oh, loves cool. playing all this old time, you know, Cole Porter and Gershwin. Oh, I love the oh, All yeah. these things that I love. And yeah. so I probably could make a playlist for that. I just haven't done that. But there are a lot of references throughout the book to whatever she's playing. Mm. So. Now, do you listen to music when you write or do you have to be completely... Yes. 
I do. Oh, see, I, I think do. it helps our brain. Well, it, like you're saying, everyone's different. And they and say that when you're studying, like uh, if you listen to Baroque music, it helps you focus. Yes. Because our brains have that other little ning, 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 ning going on. Right. And, um, but for me, music depends. Some music gives me speeding tickets. Some music, <laughs> it's true. I bring musicians. Every musician we're in, I interview, I say, I, I judge you. Uh, your music is judged on is it worth the speeding ticket or not? Like, that's it, you know? Because it, it doesn't, that doesn't mean that it's like hardcore. It just means I'm, I'm off. I'm, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so that, there's that part. But music at the same time, I'll start typing faster. I'll get in a zone. I'm in there. And mm-hmm. I, if, if it's an upbeat song, yeah, doesn't mean there won't be typos, though. Uh oh. Well, that's okay. You can fix those. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's the beauty of uh, beauty of computers now. We can fix these things a lot more easily. When you write, okay, so you've got music in the background. Do you have s- specific kinds of music? It or does it go depends. with what you're writing? Yeah, it depends on what I'm writing. So I might be listening to more ballet music if there's a dance setting or. Um, as I said, for Deadly Setup, more about the American songbook than Alicia's song. She was an aspiring classical singer. So I was listening to a lot of opera. You know, cool. it just depends on, on whatever I'm working on, but it kind of helps move me into that environment. And see the opera, though, I'd get up and start going, no. no. <laughs> But but the thing is with the music, it's so cool, you know, because you you can set that scene with it. And other writers, they're like, I can't do any music whatsoever. And I'm like, I don't know how you do it without, you know, but then some people are like, no, no, I'm into this, you know, so everyone's so different. When you write, Mm -hmm. this is the same thing going with other authors. Do you edit yourself as you're writing or did you just flow it? Let it go. You know, I do 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 some editing as I'm writing. Uh, It's interesting because there's a lot of advice of just write. Don't worry about anything. Just uh, excuse my language, but don't be afraid to write what they call shitty drafts. That's that's a very common um, advice. I just can't do that. You know, I do tend to kind of, oh, I think that doesn't sound quite right. Blah, 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 blah. And then how I tend to start the day's writing is that I'll look at what I've written the day before and I'll do just light editing on it. And then that kind of gets me. Sets the stage. And then I continue on. So So it's kind of like a rehearsal. Yeah, it is. So I'm always kind of doing a bit of tinkering. And then, of course, uh, once you're through an, an entire draft, then it's time to look at the whole shape and how it, and then, you know, you make additional changes and additional edits. And, and also I have beta readers, I'm in two critique groups, you know, so I'm getting feedback pretty regularly on my work uh, and people who are offering some good ideas and suggestions. And so. Uh, yeah. Yes. And getting critique, I think that is such a huge and important thing. Yet it can be hard too if, if you like you love a certain piece or some part and then they're like, that sucks. Like, <laughs> wah, wah, wah. you know what I mean? So it's kind of hard 
<laughs> you know, because creative, it's a creative process. So you're still wearing, you know, putting your heart on your sleeve, you know? Yes, so yes. getting the critique is while it's really good can also be well, where, where? <laughs> well, you have to, there is an art, there is an art to um, critiquing uh, and in a, in a healthy and constructive way. Mm -hmm. And there are people who don't, frankly, don't do that well and discourage instead of encourage. Yeah. Um, I think it's very, very important to point out things that a person, a writer is doing really well and then make, and then, you know, make suggestions, very specific constructive suggestions about what could make it even stronger or this is a, an area where, you know, I had some challenges or something, but it's the way you frame things mm -hmm. and also the specificity. If you say to me, well, that sucked, you know, or that wasn't well, good. Or that, that does, that, that's not, that's not that, helpful. That doesn't help me. That doesn't no. help at all. No. Uh, but if you point to something and say, well, this, this section wasn't clear, or yeah. I think maybe we needed a little more here or something like that. Um, I'll listen. And especially mm -hmm. I'll listen. If more than one person says something to me, then I know it's a problem. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, I think it's really it, it, you doing that is so cool because would you do that before or after an editor? Or is that really a huge before. part of the editing? Before. That's before, before I would submit to anybody, um, I would have, you know, it would have been looked at by a bunch of people, <laughs> both beta readers and then people in my critique group and my husband. He also is really my first reader. But and, if, and if he's not good about it, you might have to kill him off in a book. Oh, right. <laughs> oh no, I, no, we yeah. know a, a lady who writes murder mysteries and it always somehow the husband's going and we keep looking at her husband like he's so sweet. And she's like, <laughs> I know, but I keep killing him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but they're ha they have a happy, you know, happy life. But yeah, right. you know, it's so, but right. that's, it is the way it is. Just husbands keep popping off in her books. <laughs> well, I think that's a kind of okay. So when you're even doing like murders, I mean, then you get to be on that. I mean, look how sweet you are, and now you're writing murder mysteries and people dying and having affairs and all kinds of stuff. I mean, uh -huh. what's going on in your Google history? <laughs> that's like the best thing. I think murder, like anybody's writing crime and mysteries, like right. if we could just do like a show on. Oh, we should. We should totally right. have a podcast, a panel discussion where everybody says what there was our last thing that they put in Google, like that would totally <laughs> horrify people. Like, you know, it would it would this acid really kill them or would it burn right. them first? You know? Well, that was one of the funny things about being in graduate school because Seton Hill is a Catholic university. And so we would be in a bunch of writers in the elevator with some nuns. Now, how would you kill so and so? You know, and we'd be having all oh, these wow. discussions, and these nuns are <laughs> like, "You don't be doing <laughs> yeah, that." I'm going to uh, be praying for you tonight. Yeah, <laughs> praying for your souls. But uh, yeah, wow. So I don't. Hey, know. I think murder mysteries in monasteries would be kind of good. Murder oh, in a monastery. Oh yes. Oh yes. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ooh. Nice, Ooh. Nice combination there. Yeah. Wow. 
Well, Lynn, it has been a joy having you back on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And congrats on the book being out because it is, you know, as we talk now, it's about to slide into its birthday. So, you know, congratulations on number five. Number six, do you want to give a preview? Oh, well, sure. Uh, Missing Mom is tentatively called Missing Mom. Oh, I like that. That's kind of crazy. It's about a young woman uh, whose mother simply disappears, uh, completely disappears. And the circumstantial evidence leads the police to think she was a probable suicide. But my protagonist doesn't believe that her mother would ever have committed suicide. So, of course, she launches her own investigation. Oh, is this a young adult book? Yeah, young adult. And threaded throughout that story is a story of a young woman 20 years earlier who is escaping from an abusive marriage. And that story will eventually turn out to be related to what happened to uh, the mom of my protagonist. So that's, that's what it's about. Wow. So you write in the mornings and then the afternoons, you go for a walk and think all this crazy stuff up. (laughs) Like, well, actually my, my big thing is swimming. I, that's good. I find swimming is very meditative. Mm -hmm. uh, Makes me feel better. So I do. Yeah. Yeah. It's embryonic. Yep. It is. It is. And it's, it's calm. It's peaceful. Did you ever do synchronized swimming with music? Coming from a dance oh, background? Although when I was younger, I used to watch Esther Williams movies on Million Dollar Movie or whatever, you know, in my childhood. Um, Do you know it's her birthday this week? Oh, really? Yeah. And I didn't realize that she was a swimmer. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. And I got all stuck into this. I mean, she really was. And, you know, that, that was a big deal, um, yeah. even as an African-American Standing up saying, yes, we do swim, you other yes. people who don't believe that, right? right, right. Um, she yeah. stood up and she stood up for women in the sport. She is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. Wow. Very, cool. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you again, everyone. Miss Q is out now. And you can go to lynnslaughter.com. We want to thank our friends over at Books Forward. And you can go to booksforward.com for that. And we are here every second Wednesday talking with writers and authors and having a good time and finding out what's in their Google history. So keep up with us at bigblendradio.com. All right. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. <laughs>